let's stand all over the house this morning. For all those that are joining online this morning, we welcome them to church today. I know there are some that are traveling, some that are having to work today and are out of town. But we're here, so we're here to worship the Lord together today. So let's sing some old praise choruses and hymn of the church together. Glory to His name. 
this temple to give you glory, Lord. Lift you, Lord. scripture and prayer if they'll come at this time. Immediately following those leading in scripture and prayer today, uh, we have a special, special treat for you today. Uh, Brother Terry Brickle, which is uh, Sister Carol's brother uh, who has been coming with us, he is going to be singing for us today. He has been wanting to sing a song all the way back when he attended the uh, Orangeburg Church before he moved here, um, but for the longest time he couldn't find anybody that knew the song to be able to play the song, and I had moved so I couldn't play the song. And uh, I had never heard it either, but then when he moved down here, his sister knew the song, so I said, well, God bless you, you can play it. So she is. That's what she's going to do today. So immediately after Brother Marion leads us in scripture and prayer, Brother Terry and those will come to lead us in that song today. Praise the Lord. Good to be in God's house. We've been studying about Solomon, and we know he asked for wisdom. Jesus teaches about, also about asking, seeking, and knocking. I'm going to read this scripture. Matthew 7, verse 7 and 8, Jesus says, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and him that knocketh, it shall be opened. I want to ask, since we can ask, praise the Lord, I want to ask the Lord to just have his way in this service today. Amen. I love him, I thank him, but most of all, I come to church feel his presence. I know it's not all about feeling, but I like to feel God's presence when I come to church. And I believe we would feel it today if we just simply ask. Let us pray. Father, again, we're so thankful for your love and your mercy. We thank thankful, Lord, that in your word you said we can ask. Father, we ask with humble hearts, Lord, that you would just have your way in this service today, Lord. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would touch, move, and just have your way. And Father, we'd be careful, Lord, to thank you for all that you do, Lord. Father, I pray, Lord, that you bless and touch the music, the preaching of your word. I pray, Lord, that signs and wonders will follow the preaching. And, Father, we be careful just to give you praise and adoration, for you're worthy of it all. Again, we thank you, Lord. Amen. Worship with Brother Terry as he comes today.
a sinner. I came to Jesus, all broken hearted, head bowed in sin. I cried, dear Savior, please grant me this again this evening or this afternoon morning night's running away from me so it's been a long weekend we're gonna worship the Lord today we're gonna sing some praise choruses that many of you know we sing around these parts here so we're gonna ask you to join with us this morning as we sing about the praises if you notice most of the themes today has to do with praise and uh, most of the songs today are that so we're gonna continue to do that we're gonna sing a song that simply says I love to sing your praise Lord I love the sound of your name so let's worship the Lord today sing your praise, Lord. I love the sound of your name. Fills me with peace, washes over me like a sweet gentle rain. I love to sing your praise, Lord. It brings 
the victory. No matter what I face, through all of my days, I love to sing your praise. I love to sing your praise, Lord. I love the sound of your name. It fills me with peace, washes over me like a sweet gentle rain. I love to sing your praise, Lord. You bring the victory. No matter what I face, through all of my days, I love to sing your praise. There's a place inside of my heart where a song of thanksgiving starts because of all your goodness and the joy you give. I'm gonna let my song fill the air. Yes, I'll sing it everywhere. Lord, my praise will crescendo every day that I live. I'm gonna sing your praise, Lord. I love the sound of your name. It fills me with peace, washes over me like a sweet gentle rain. I love to sing your praise, Lord. It brings a victory. No matter what I face, through all of my days, I love to sing your praise. Lord, I love to see your skies. When you paint a glorious sunrise, I love the dew in the morning and hearing songbirds sing. But there's nothing sweeter to me than to join in harmony with my brothers and sisters, singing praises to the King. I love to sing your praise, Lord. I love the sound of your name. Fills me with peace, washes over me like a sweet gentle rain. I love to sing your praise, Lord. It brings a victory. No matter what I face, through all of my days, I love to sing your praise. No matter what I face, through all of my days, I love to sing your praise. No matter what I face, through all of my days, I love to sing your praise. Oh, Lord, we worship you today. And we are so glad to be in your house today. Lord, you are worthy of all our praise. And that's our cry today. So, Lord, we ask you have the praise of your people that sing. Every praise is to our God. Every word of worship with one accord. Every praise, every praise is to our God. Sing hallelujah to our God. Glory hallelujah is to our God. Every praise Sing hallelujah 
worship you, Lord. It's just the voices singing. Touch me. today, honoring you, glorifying you, and magnifying your name. Father, as we get ready here in just a moment to break the bread of life, God, I pray that you would speak to hearts today and lives in a powerful and a special way. Father, I already feel and sense your presence in this house today. God, I pray that you're not done yet, but you got more to still do in this house today. Father, I pray that you would bless the reading of this word we're about to have together. Let it be done in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray and ask these things. Together, the people of God said, Amen. If you remain standing, I'm going to ask you to grab your Bibles and quickly turn to the book of Psalms, chapter 139. Book of Psalms, chapter 139. It's a very familiar passage of Scripture that you will know very well. We're going to look at the last two verses of this text. Psalms 139. We'll be looking at the last two verses, verse 23. 24 together. Here's what the writer, the chief musician David, said at the conclusion of this psalm of praise. David has been writing about the perfect knowledge God has of man. God knows everything in from beginning. God knows what we have need of before we ask it. God knows everything about our lives. Look at what David's last two lines were. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, know my anxieties. And see if there's any wickedness in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting. But I want you to focus on that last part B, if you will, of verse 23. Know my 
anxieties. I wonder if any of you today you were truly honest with God and with man, you would say sometimes you're a little anxious about things in life. Sometimes things worry you a little bit. They stress you out a little bit. The Bible said God already knows my anxieties. He knows them. Let's pray together. Eternal Father, I stand before you as a humble man. God asking you today to speak to the people of God. Father, I pray that every word that has been spoken, song that has been sung, would be for the advancement and the glory of the kingdom of God. Father, I pray you would take a coal from the altars of heaven, anoint these lips of clay, that I may decree and declare what thus saith the Lord Almighty. Let not my words be heard, but your word be spoken in the presence of your people. God, I pray this, that we not only be hearers of this word, but doers therefore likewise. And I pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, to whom all things belong. In Christ's name we pray, and the people of God said amen. Amen. You may be seated if you can in the presence of the Lord. Last Sunday morning I began a part one, and today is part two of a sermon that I have entitled, Living Behind the Mask. So often in our lives we go through seasons where we put on a good facade to those in front, but nobody knows what's going on and the door's behind. And I would like to say to you and cautious you, caution you that you listen to this preacher carefully today, that people have mastered this art at church too. It's not just in the world. Church people have mastered the art of putting a smile on in the front door and making sure that everybody thinks everything's a-okay. But the people of God sometimes don't realize that there are others in this house that are also people of God that when they get into that car and they drive out of this circle driveway and they head out back on 52 left or right to go to their destinations that reality sets in. And they put a smile on Sunday morning and they put a smile on Sunday night but they cried on the way to church before they got here because the weight of their anxieties. Or maybe they had a disagreement, an argument with a spouse or a loved one prior to arriving to church. See, a lot of times we have perfected the craft of living behind a mask. We only want to let people in so far. We only want people to see so much. We're, we're very cognizant, and we don't want nobody to judge us if they knew the real us. So what we do is we decide that we're only going to let you come so far without taking off the mask and revealing who we really are. But I want you to understand today that you can hide it from the preacher. You can hide it from Brother Marion or Brother Randy or Sister Sandy or whoever's your Sunday school teacher. You can hide it from the musicians, the singers, the worship leader. You can hide it from your spouse if you're good. You can hide it from kids. You 
you can hide it from your grandkids, but you cannot hide it from God. You can hide it from anybody you want to. And I'm telling you that the Lord knows even before you know that he knows. Now I want to talk today about life or how to live this life from behind the mask. I started talking to you last week about a young man by the name of Joseph. Joseph is one of the most probably iconic figures in scripture. He is known as, uh, as the dreamer. The one who always, if you will, had a dream. He told his dream to his fathers. He told it to his brothers. He told it to his parents. He told it to everyone. And nobody really accepted Joseph's dream the same way. I talked to you about how he, at 17 years old, was shipped off, if you will, because the perception of Joseph was he thought he was better than everybody else. Brothers said, do you think we're going to bow down and serve you? Fathers and mothers saying, do you really think you're going to usurp us? Like, what, what are you thinking, boy? You better come off your high horse and realize who you're talking to here. So the perception of Joseph was he's dreaming these big dreams. He's gotten a little too big for his britches. He's kind of he's dreaming too big out here. I told you that oftentimes that one of the greatest spiritual gifts the Bible has given us is the gift of discernment. Seeing things that other people don't see in spirit realms. I told you that perception can oftentimes become reality to Joseph's brothers. The perception was Joseph knew everything, so that made them angry. The perception to Jacob and his family was that Joseph thought he was better than, and so even though that Jacob pondered these things in his heart, Jacob reprimanded Joseph because the perception was Joseph was out of line. I told you perception is very critical because perceptions become reality. When you find out you have cancer, the first thing you think is, I'm going to die. When you find out that your marriage is falling apart, you start thinking, what have I done wrong? When you find out your kids are living a bad life or doing things that are against what you would want them to do, you think you're a horrible parent. You start becoming, you start perceiving things, even if they're not true, they become reality. But I want to pick up today that not only was there the perception of Joseph, but Joseph found himself in quite the predicament. I don't want you to raise your hand today because I don't necessarily want you to feel embarrassed that people are judging you besides you, even though the Bible says we're not supposed to judge, judge not lest you also be judged. And don't judge the speck in your brother's eye when you have a large plank in your own, but but I won't make you raise your hand, but I, I were, if I were to be a betting man and I could put these odds on Vegas somewhere on a sports betting book, I would put all the money I had that there's at least one person in this room that sometimes you have been given a predicament that you have found yourself in that was not of your choosing. You didn't ask for the predicament. You didn't sign up for the predicament. In fact, you may not even have been the one that created the predicament, but you got yourself in a predicament. I find one of the ones that it so often is the most likely to be the case is divorces. Sometimes in divorce, not both parties want the divorce, but both parties get the divorce. Come on, you guys, you guys, you guys have decided not to be Pentecostal today. You've decided that you want to be the, the sleeping church of the living God. So it's going to be a long day. The reality of it is there are times in our lives the enemy will put us in predicaments not of our own accord or choosing, but he puts us in them anyway. 
Joseph finds himself. He's just going out one day. His father sends him out into the field and says to his son, Jacob, Jacob sends Joseph and says, I want you to go check on your brothers. They're supposed to be watching the sheep. Just go check on them and see how they're doing. Joseph goes out there. He can't find them. He hears rumblings that his brothers are off in the nearby town goofing off. They're just hanging out, doing their thing. Not watching sheep, but they're partying it up, living it up. So he first goes to the city of Shechem, and nobody seems to have seen Joseph's brothers. In fact, some of the people in Shechem said, no, 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 I think they're the next town over. So Joseph decides to go to that town. That town was actually called Dothan. He shows up at Dothan which is about one full day's journey from Shechem. So that means even if Joseph left Shechem on day one, he wasn't going to get to Dothan until day two. By the time he gets there, he finds his brothers. Well, you would think his brothers would be like, Oh, it's our baby brother. What's up, man? Come on. Enjoy the life of the party. That is not the reception he got. When his brothers see him, they get upset for checking on him. And due to their jealousy, they decide to devise a wicked scheme. If any of you have ever had older children, you probably have had this happen before if you've had more than one child. The oldest child, as they get older and they begin to experience what they call autonomy and they want to be able to have freedoms, a little more freedoms, their cell phones, a computer, a car, whatever. Somewhere around 14 to 17, they go through this stage where they want to go to their room, shut the door and not be bothered. Sometimes old people are like that too, but, but we're talking about teenagers right now. And they want to be bothered. But when little brother or little sister comes knocking on the door or barges in the door and tries to grab the diary, tries to grab the cell phone, what happens in the room? Chaos. All hell breaks loose in the house. You're now watching WWE live stream. Because when Mackenzie walks in the room and takes Madison's headphones, it's game on. Or messes with her phone. Or if Madison's on, the, or if, if Riley's on the phone with her boyfriend and Brantley comes in there and screaming to the top of his lungs and he's like, yeah, Riley's getting ready to shoot her brother right there in cold blood. Because she's in the privacy of her room wanting to have this moment. They weren't excited to see Joseph. In fact, they were not happy that he was quote unquote checking in on them. At first, their plan was to kill him. That's pretty rough. The first plan was take him out, it's over. But after they get, a couple of the brothers get cold feet, they decide to throw him into a, a holding tank, if you will, called a pit, till they could figure it out. And the Bible says that while Joseph was in the bottom of the pit, he could hear his brothers at the top of the pit. They have lunch while he's sitting in the pit. You talk about being some low-down brothers. They're up there eating and feasting and devising a plan while Joseph is sitting in the pit, not of his own making, hearing how everybody else is living their best life now while he's in the pit and he didn't ask for it. Now, I know this is going to rock some people's theology today, but I'm getting ready to just bust Joel Osteen's book right here. I know Joel Osteen wrote a book about living your best life now. I'm telling you right now. Sometimes your best life now is not when you see everybody else living their best life now because sometimes you find yourself in the pit while everybody else is up top enjoying their best life now. Now, I'm not here saying that the book didn't have some good principles. My point to you is, is not everything in life is going to be the best life now. 
Some days the best life, the best you got is a pit because you got nothing else. You got nothing else. Your best life now sometimes is not always what it's cracked up to be. As they sit there, they notice off in a distance a group of Ishmaelite slave traders coming towards them. One of the brothers said, well, we can't kill him. Daddy will be mad, and I don't know what we're going to do. and we, we just can't kill him. That, that's just not the best plan. So one of the brothers said, well, I tell you what, why don't we sell him? If we sell him to those groups, they'll take him away from us. We'll never have to deal with Joseph again. But we didn't really kill him. So the blood won't really be on our hands because we didn't really kill him. But if we sell him, problem solved. Easy fix. The brothers kind of sit around. They debate it. And they say, you know what? Sounds like a good idea to me. And they, they ship him off. Joseph thinks his brothers are rescuing him from the pit when the rope drops down and they begin to hoist him up only to find that as soon as he gets to the top they bound him and they actually create a, if you will, a agreement, a purchasing agreement for their own brother. Now you can, there are ministries such as Doors to Freedom and other ministry organizations that deal with human trafficking and sex trafficking and things like that. There are all kinds of parachurch organizations that do those types of things. But I'm going to tell you right now, there is no more clear, if you will, picture of human trafficking than this story. You, you take your own flesh and blood and you pay somebody else to take them away so you don't have to deal with them anymore and don't want them to write you when they get there. You literally sell them off for no return. There's no other way to slice that than human trafficking. Now they're in a predicament themselves. What are they supposed to do? Can I tell you sometimes your life will seem like the pits? You will be in places where people have placed you in the pits. There will always at times be people scheming for your demise, awaiting for the opportunity to take you out. There will be times in your life that you'll find yourself in places you didn't sign up for, you didn't ask for, and you were left there to die. The psalmist in Psalms 57 and 6 said, They have prepared a net for my steps and my soul is bowed down. They dug a pit before me. They themselves have fallen in the midst of it. The psalmist in 80, Psalms 88 and 6 said, God has put him in the pit in dark places in the depths. The psalmist David's son Solomon in Lamentations 3 and 53, the wisest man of all said this, Folks have silenced me in the pit and have placed a stone above my head. Psalms 103, 2 and 4 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget none of his benefits. Who redeems your life from the pit? And he crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. Psalms 40, 2 and 3 says, God brought me out of the miry pit or the horrible pit and out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. He has put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust the Lord. Can I tell you, no matter where you find yourselves, no matter what lot you may be a part in, and no matter what cards you may have been dealt, there is a God that sees you in the pit, and no matter what predicament the enemy has placed in you, greater is he that is inside of you than he that is in the world. And what the enemy meant for evil, God can turn it around for good. He can turn it all around. Well, then there was the purging. 
The word purge literally means to eliminate, remove, or to get rid of. They sell him. Joseph arrives to Egypt. He is put on an auction block for, for sale. He is an illegal immigrant. No paperwork. No vetting. No visa. No nothing. 100% illegal immigrant. One of the guys that's standing in the crowd that day happens to be the guard or the captain of the guard of Pharaoh's palace and his armies. His name is Potiphar. Potiphar is standing there and they start auctioning slaves. I'm sure some of them might have even been of other ethnicities besides Israelite. They start sending the slaves by to be purchased and Potiphar watches them go down the line. The next one that comes up on the line is this really nice looking 17 year old boy who has got a lot of energy, vitality. He's got olive complexion and he looks the part. And something inside Potiphar says, that's the one. He makes a bid and he ends up buying, if you will, Joseph as a slave. Joseph begins to work for him, and Joseph finds favor in Potiphar's sight. The Bible says that Potiphar did not even know the vastness of what he owned or the food he ate, except at Joseph's command. The only thing Potiphar kept away from Joseph's watch was one thing, his wife. In terms of all of his money, his financial assets, his service, he let an illegal immigrant that had no visa or paperwork rule his house. See, I'm not here to argue politics with you today, but I'm telling you God is above politics. So while politicians may argue illegal immigration and human trafficking and vetting, I, that's between you and God where you stand on political issues. God's not worried about your politics, he's worried about your heart. So God can take, confide, he takes the things that, that if you will, that, that we think are, 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 are simple things or even, but God says he will even confound the things of this world, the wise. He'll confound them. He'll make them not even be able to understand what he's doing. Joseph is doing great. One day Joseph is in the house doing his, if you will, his census. He's going over all the orders. He's checking to make sure all the stuff's been purchased for the, for the food that night. He's making sure he's auditing, he's, he's editing, he's changing everything and making sure it's all. One day he is sitting there at his desk in the back of the house where he is working on all of the paperwork and there is this beautiful woman that walks into the door. She, the Bible says she, if you will, uh, in one translation, she had eyes for Joseph. In, in essence, what that means is she took notice that Joseph looked good. She thought he was an attractive guy. Now some of you, hopefully all of you in here that are married or have been married, at some point in life you thought the person you were married with to, they caught your eye. If they didn't catch your eye and you still married them, then God bless you. But I hope that you thought they looked good at least once, at least one time, you know. I'm hoping that when you saw that beautiful girl or you saw that handsome guy, even if your first thought was, never in China will I ever be with that guy, hopefully in time something caught your eye about them. She takes a liking to Joseph and she becomes day after day, she flirts with him. To the point that it gets to the point, Brother Shane, that 
Joseph gets uncomfortable. He doesn't like the way this is. Why so? Because Joseph, even though Joseph had been, let me back up and say it this way. You can take the boy out of the country, but you can't take the country out of the boy. Train up a child in the way they should go, and they grow old, they won't depart. You can take the child out of church, but if you've raised them right, you won't get the God of the church out of them. Because the reality of it is they can run from God like Jonah, but they can't hide because there will be something in them that they just can't get away from. They may try to run, but you can't outrun God. Ask Jonah. And the reality of it is Joseph had been raised by a patriarch by the name of Jacob who had read the laws of Moses who had taught him the scriptures and taught him how the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob had been the God that led them to this perfect land and how God had showed them favor and mercy Joseph knew about God and he knew God would not be pleased even though his brothers are not looking even though mama and daddy's not in the house, Joseph had something that the world could use. It's called integrity. Our politicians could use integrity. Our churches could use integrity. Can I tell you, even behind these sacred lecterns, integrity needs to be put back in the house of God because there's people that are standing behind sacred lecterns that aren't living a life of integrity. Joseph, integrity is not what everybody sees. It's doing what's right, even if nobody sees what you're doing. Joseph said, no, no. That's not appropriate. Potiphar has given me all rain, but he has kept you for himself. I'm not doing that. Day after day after day, she vexes his soul. One day, she decides she cannot control her urges any longer. She wants that Hebrew boy. And the Bible said she walks in, and as Joseph tries to once again get out of the room because he doesn't want the two of them to just be alone in the room. She grabs his coat. And the only thing Joseph at the time in his moment of integrity thought to do was to shed off the coat and spin out of the coat and take off and flee. The Bible tells us a shun or to flee from the very presence of evil. Get away from it. And the only problem is she figured out she had evidence. Can I tell you that even though the Bible tells us to abstain or to shun or to flee the very appearance of evil, the enemy will even use the things you are fleeing from to try to take you out. Because while you're running from that which is evil, he'll twist it so that other people will start thinking perceptions about you that you didn't even think were possible. She takes that coat walks in, Joseph has already been sold by brothers and been abandoned by family. All he's got left now is his job. She goes to Potiphar when he gets home and said, this boy you brought in tried to come in here and he tried to rape me. And Potiphar gets livid. He doesn't even want to hear Joseph's side to the story. He immediately says, that's enough! What have you done? What have you done? Integrity is not always easy to maintain, and it might actually cost you instant gratification, but it, in the long run, it will preserve your life. Proverbs 11 and 3, the integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed. Proverbs 10 and 9, whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his way crooked will always be found out. 1 Peter 3 and 16, having a good conscience, which is essential, that so that when you are slandered and those that revile your good behavior in Christ, 
They are the ones that are put to shame. Integrity. Integrity is not cheap. Joseph is sentenced to a penalty. See, in your life, you'll walk through places where you're hiding behind a mask, but your mask is actually your punishment. One of the greatest literary works that's been written was written by C.S. Lewis. Screw tape letters, other things. He wrote many different things. He was a phenomenal author. But there was another book that he, the screw tape letters was a conversation between the devil and his protege, Wormwood. And it was how to make this character known as Christian mess up, to fall. But there was another book written around the same time he wrote that book. He didn't write, but someone else, but another book. I believe, I'm not mistaken, it might have been Nathaniel Hawthorne that wrote it. I'm not sure, but it was called The Scarlet Letter. The Scarlet Letter was about a young lady by the name of Hester Prim. She got into an inappropriate relationship with actually the preacher of that town. But instead of the preacher owning up to what he did, he let her take the fall, and they had made her wear a patch, an adulterous A for being an adulterer, all throughout town to be publicly shamed for her behavior. While those that were involved in her behavior, alongside of her, walked away scape-free. That's what the devil will do to you. He'll let everybody else seem to get away with it, but if you're trying to maintain integrity, he'll be, he'll be the, you'll be the one he tries to take, let you take the fall for. A kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. What happened is Joseph thought he made the right choice, but in reality it became what cost him his punishment. For some of you, you're wearing masks because you're ashamed of who you really are. You wear the mask because you don't want people to know you're angry. You wear masks because you don't want people to know you're a drunk. You wear masks because you don't want people to know the real you. Joseph is sentenced to jail. Brother Shane, if you'll come on. As he's sentenced to jail, he is given a place in the dungeon. Joseph never asked for this to happen. Joseph is on his way to jail. Potiphar sends everybody in, and they arrest Joseph. But in that day, you not just were arrested. Go ahead and take this one off for me. Chain me to this pole. But not only were you arrested, flip it around that. No, we'll go to the bottom one. Just go ahead, I'll sit. Well, will I go to any of them? Let's see. Will I fit any of them? Maybe not. Just imitate. Just hold me there. There you go. Joseph was chained, and then he was left alone. He's been abandoned by family. He's been abandoned by Potiphar. And now he's in a dark dungeon where nobody seems to know where he's at. Done. In essence, Joseph probably his first thought is, I'm done for. This is it. I'm down for the count. I can't go nowhere. I'm stuck. 
couple days later, a couple of Pharaoh's royal officers get thrown into prison, a butler and a baker. For time's sake, I won't go there, but they have some dreams. Joseph interprets them. One, both of them come to pass, but only one of them survives from their dream. Joseph made one final plea to the butler. He said, buddy, I know the jailer has given me favor, and I know, but I'm still stuck in this dungeon. I'm still stuck in a predicament I didn't ask for. I'm still locked, chained, and bound to something I never thought I would be in. I never thought alcohol would take me out. I never thought it would destroy my marriage. I never thought I would be an alcoholic. I never thought I would do drugs. I never thought I would be divorced. I never thought I'd face cancer. I never thought I would lose my husband. I never thought my wife would die. I never thought my children would abandon me and not talk to me for years. I never thought I would have been here. The only thing I have hope left in, buddy, when you go to Pharaoh, he's the only one that can help me. My family don't even, doesn't even know where I'm at. My boss, my job, my family that I made here, they hate my guts. There's only one person in this whole place that can get me out of here. There's only one place. Madison, if you go to the next slide for me. What happens is, Joseph thinks his only hope is having provision through the hands of men. He tells the butler, when you get to Pharaoh, please tell him. Please remember me. Please let him know. If he asks any favors or anything, will you ask him to let me out of this? Will you find favor with Pharaoh? Can I tell you that when you try to find favor with men, they'll disappoint you. Men will disappoint you, but God will never abandon you. Men will fail you, but God won't forsake you. The butler goes to Pharaoh, and guess what happens? He gets back restored, and guess what he doesn't do? Remember Joseph. Now, I'm going to come back to you here in just a second, but I want to point this out to you. There are some of you in this room. You have been begging for everything under the sun to change the narrative of your story, but you still feel like you're handcuffed to your story. Joseph hasn't heard any more, but there are people in your life, they will use you and abuse you to get what they need out of you, but as soon as they get what they need, they too will abandon you and leave you in the pit and basically be like, good luck, hope you survive. They'll leave you there too. The Bible says there's only one that sticks closer than a brother, and it ain't your spouse, it ain't your kids, it ain't even the preacher, it's God. And the reality of it is, Joseph sits in that dungeon for two more years, Still chained to something he never asked for. It was almost to the point that whole, all hope was lost. Probably almost to the point of giving in and accepting the lot that this is all I've got. But what Joseph didn't know is he who begins a good work is faithful to complete it until the very end. For he's Alpha and Omega, he's the first and the last, he knows the beginning. From the end. What Joseph didn't know is that while he's in the dungeon, God's in the palace. Because while Joseph is fretting and stressed at life, no family, no friends, no help, while Joseph thinks all hope is lost, 
while Joseph is in the prison, God is working in the palace. Even when I don't see it, he's working. Even when I don't feel him, he's working. For he never stops working. The reality of it is, Joseph is sitting there, but what's happening is Pharaoh is now vexed with dreams. The dreamer that dreamed about his brothers and his family and had dreams. The butler and the baker that had dreams. And Joseph, the revealer of those dreams. But all of a sudden, Joseph didn't need a man to help him because God was going to help him. And when God comes on the scene, you don't need a man, woman, boy, or girl because they can't stop what God's about to do. And Pharaoh is miserable with dreams. He calls every person in the kingdom that even thinks they're smart. He even called people smart that weren't smart to come into the office. I've had a dream. I saw on the Nile, I saw seven fatted calves, seven lean calves. I saw stalks of grain, and I saw chafing of the wind to take them all away but Pharaoh was smart he first said I will give you basically a reward if you can help me get sleep at night if you will help if, if, if uh, Tan and Madison you put back up Psalms 139 and 23 it was the first scripture I put up there what Pharaoh is asking is if you can help me deal with my anxiety I can't sleep because I am I got anxiety problems if you can help with my anxiety I'm going to reward you Back to provision for me if you guys don't mind. So Joseph is in this pit. And everybody says, well, Pharaoh, tell us the dream and we'll tell you the meaning. Miss Carol, as you come. And Pharaoh said, no, 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 no. You tell me the dream and the meaning so I know you ain't trying to snow job me because I have been wrestling with this. I need to figure out what's going on. Pharaoh wasn't a believer of God, but he was about to be. Because even when the the enemy seems to use against you, God will use that against him. So Pharaoh asked, nobody can do it, and Pharaoh is getting ready to take everybody out. He's just mad, he's frustrated, everything's annoying him. And when everybody else, Brother Jeff's about to get annihilated because Pharaoh's so angry, all of a sudden it's like the butler remembered somebody by name. Because when the butler's life's about to get back put on the chopping block, all of a sudden, guess who he needs? He needs good old Joe. He needs Joe again. Somebody call Uncle Joe. Somebody call Bubba Joe. Oh, Pharaoh, I happened. I just, it just dawned on me. I forgot for the last two years. When you threw me in prison, there was a guy down there. He actually told me the dream, and he was a really smart guy. We should have called him in. Pharaoh said, what, 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 even what took you so long? They go get Joseph out of prison. They shave him. They change his clothes. Why did they change his clothes? Because you don't go before God with the clothes you used to be in. You change. When you get in the presence of the Lord, old things pass away. And all things become new. When God gets in it, you won't wear the same clothes. You won't talk the same talk. You won't live the same life. You won't drink the same drinks. When God gets involved, you're going to look different when you show up into the palace. Joseph reveals the dreams. He tells him everything that's going to happen. He says, those seven calves, that means God's going to provide incredible things. God's going to make sure that there's a time of 
abundance, but then those seven lean calves are time of famine, and the stocks of grain are one and the same. Joseph is 27 years old, 10 years since his day of slavery. He's been an illegal immigrant enslaved for 10 years. But around his 30th birthday, he was 30 years old, maybe not the exact birthday, but around 30 years old. Joseph gets the final promise that he always knew. The dream was that Joseph had his father, mother, brothers, family, they would bow to his stock of grain. Isn't it interesting that God used stocks of grain for Joseph's dream about his brother's bundle of sheaves and everything? And isn't it interesting when his brothers come to Egypt, what they're actually buying is stocks of grain. So the bundle of sheaves that Joseph's dreams had that they were bowing to is what they had to buy in front of Joseph was grain. I mean, that's pretty, pretty spectacular. And here's how the story ends. And then I'm done. Joseph tells the dream. He reveals the dream. And Pharaoh says... Nobody else could do this. This is the work of God. Now, I know that you, you know, as a pharaoh as of Egypt, he's probably thinking the God of the Egyptians. But he still recognized there was a higher power than even Pharaoh. Outside of God, Pharaoh was like a God to Egyptian culture. Pharaoh realized there's somebody higher than me. For his ways are higher than my ways. Even as his thoughts higher than my thoughts, declares the Lord. Pharaoh recognized there's something bigger than him. And I tell you, the only way you're ever going to realize how to take off the mask is realizing that you're going to have to have somebody bigger than you help you take off the mask because you can't do it alone. That's why you're still living behind the mask because you can't take off the mask on your own. And Pharaoh does something. I have read the story of Joseph. I've read through the Bible many, multiple years. I have been preaching for quite a while, associate pastor and youth pastor, I have preached on Joseph many times and I always read this scripture and knew this scripture now I'm just going to tell you, you know the rest of the story Joseph's brothers come, there's a big reunion they all bow down, all that stuff but where I want to leave you today is right before that happens I have read this story so many times and I have read this but it didn't dawn on me until I was putting this sermon together why this may have been the case Bible said that when Joseph got out of prison and he revealed the dream that Pharaoh, if I can get this ring off today, I'm kind of locked in place here so I can't really get it off. Well, I thought it was going to come off. There you go. Pharaoh took what was the most prized possession of his rule. In the culture of the day, the Pharaohs would have their own insignia. It was always made specifically for each pharaoh. Each pharaoh got a different one to identify who they were once they came to rule. It was molded and, and it was shaped and it was fashioned to be a ring. So that when a pharaoh would stamp anything with that, everybody, whether it was a person, whether it was a law, whether it was a decree, if it had that on it, everybody knew this came from the order of pharaoh himself. He called the shot. And if that seal was broken before it got to its intended destination, the person that was in charge of it would die because they broke the seal of the insignia. In fact, the Bible says in Revelation that there's going to be one that's going to be crowned King of Kings and Lord of Lords, but he is the only one worthy to break the seal, to snap it in half. 
Pharaoh takes off his signet ring, his sign of authority. And he brings Joseph up. Come here, Colton. He brings Joseph up. And this is what he says. He says, except for the fact that I'm Pharaoh, except for the fact that I have to wear the head garb, I'm going, let me see your hand. I'm going to let you wear this ring. It ain't going to probably fit on your ring. you got bigger hands. But I'm going to give you what only I can give you, and that is transfer of power. And only in regards to the throne will you, will I be greater than you, but everybody's going to answer to you instead of me. I'm transferring my authority, my power, my mantle to you. And it gave him a new change of clothes. Again, royal robes. But then he does what I realized when I read this scripture, read it a thousand times, and I know this had happened, and I couldn't figure out why until I started putting this together. The Bible says that in the, in the presence of the Egyptians, he changed his name from Joseph to the Egyptian name Zathnath Paneah, which means the God or the revealer of all dreams. He changed his name. Why? The Bible says, for there's a new name written down in glory. Because when I get from behind the mask, the new mask won't be a mask over my face, but there will be laid up for me crowns of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give unto me, but not only unto me, but those that love his glorious appearing. When I got rid of the mask of my sin, my shame, my hurt, my heartache, my habits, my hang-up, the Bible said there's a new name written down in glory. It's not under the name Jonathan anymore. Why? Because I am a pilgrim on this journey headed to a land where is my final destination. Do you realize that Egypt, they despised the Israelites. They were slaves. They were in bondage. They, they didn't like Israelite people. So in order for the Egyptians to answer to an Israelite would have been utter disgrace. So you can't answer to an illegal immigrant. So you know what Joseph, uh, Pharaoh did? He changed Joseph's name and he gave him a title. He gave him an Egyptian name. What did he do? He made him an honorary Egyptian so that they would be respected in the community. Can I tell you I didn't deserve heaven. But when I gave my heart to Jesus Christ and he gave me that new name, he gave me access to be called sons and daughters of the Most High God. I didn't deserve to be in the palace. I didn't deserve to go to heaven. I didn't deserve mansions. But he transferred his glory. He transferred his love. He transferred his power. He transferred it all to me so that I can be a child of God and have an insignia upon my heart. For the Bible says the Holy Spirit is as a seal placed upon my heart. God took his royal finger of promise and he sent the Holy Spirit and he sealed my heart till the day of redemption and so I can come out from behind the mask how do I do it take off the mask take off the mask thank you Colton I'll get that back from you in a minute pastor how do I do it well first of all some of you haven't let go of what's been holding you back do you know why you still stressed out with anxieties because you're still locked, locked down and chained down and handcuffed by things maybe not even of your own making but you can't get out of them Shane come with that key but as I quoted to you last week Jesus on the cross said three words it is finished what he did 
was in that moment when I couldn't get out of my own problems. Jesus came and whom the Son has set free. Come on, somebody, act like you've been to church once in your life before. Whom the Son has set free. I couldn't get out of it. I couldn't stop it, but whom the Son set free. See, I'm no longer chained to whatever it was because whom the Son set free. It's, whom the Son set free is free indeed. The Bible said in Isaiah 61, He came to set the captive free. He came to let them loose. Can I tell you, whatever it is that's been holding you back, whatever is causing you all those sleepless nights, whatever those anxieties that are weighing on your heart, whom the Son has set free is free indeed. You've got to come out from behind the mask and say, God, here I am, and let God do what only He can do in your life today. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'll ask two questions. The question number one is this. If you say today, Pastor, I'm not saved and I don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of my life and I'd like to be a Christian and give Him my heart to be saved, I want you to slip up your hand. I just want to pray a prayer over you if you believe that you're not, you're not going to heaven and you're lost and you want to be saved today. My second question is this. Is there someone in this room today that says this, Pastor, I have some anxieties on my heart. I have some weights on my chest. I've been having some sleepless nights, worried and afraid and stressed. And I need relief. I need God to help me with my anxieties. I need God to let, help me let go of the things that I'm holding on to that's holding me back from the promises of God. Maybe you're in here and you say, Pastor, I, I have some things that I want to be freed from. I, I just I want God to help me let go of some things. Maybe they're not even sinful. Maybe they're just things that's happened to you in the past and you just want to let them go so that you're not weighted down by those emotions any longer. If any of those apply to you and you feel like that the message today spoke to your heart and they meant for you today, I just want you, no one looking around, but just slip your hand up to the Lord and let Him see your hand today. And you know, if there are any, just slip your hand up. Yes, God bless you. There any God bless you. You don't have to hold on to that any longer. You don't have to hold on to that any longer. Here's what I want you to do. I want you, right where you are, just make that your altar. I'm not going to make you come up and embarrass you today. But I want you to be right where you are. I want you to make you, whether you can sit there, you can stand, you can turn and kneel, but make it your altar. I'm going to pray, but will you pray today that God would help our body of believers in this house that need help that God would set them free today whom the Son sets free is free indeed I am a child of God yes I am eternal Father I have done my best today to decree and declare the works of Almighty God God I have tried my best to teach your word to people that God that they would know that God you are real God, they would know that you are in control. Father, I pray today that, that if there was a heart of one here today that's not that was lost and they didn't raise their hand, you would arrest their heart to get saved. But God, the hands that were lifted saying they have anxieties and things on their heart that are weighing them down, let them find freedom in Jesus. Let them find hope in Jesus today. Let them find peace in Jesus today.
Let them find hope and the hope of glory today. Let them know that there's a God who has not left them or abandoned them or that's never going to leave them nor forsake them, but he's going to be a very present help in time of trouble. And they don't have to worry. They don't have to fret. They don't have to stress out any longer because he who began a good work is faithful to complete it. God, here today in your presence, Father, I pray that when they leave this place, they truly can know they have been in the presence of God in his house with his people. God, and so my prayer today for this body is to do something supernatural that only you can do. For he touched me. Oh, he touched me. That's our prayer, Lord. And oh, the joy that floods my soul. How do we know? Because something happened. And now I know he touched me and Before we pray the prayer of benediction, let me tell you this. Joseph would have never gotten out of his predicament had it not been for the hand of God. Whether you raise your hand today or not, you listen to this pastor carefully when you leave this place. The enemy is not going to just set you free and just let you out of whatever you're facing right now because he's a nice guy. He just doesn't do that. The only way you're going to truly learn how to live from behind the mask and truly find freedom is letting the hand of God come into your life and touching your life. You can try all the antidepressants, all the alcohol, all the drugs, all the sexual carousing and promiscuity. You can try all this world has to offer. But it's going to leave you empty, void, depleted, and ultimately destroy your life. But you give it all to Jesus. You won't ever be disappointed because he will never fail you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. He will be with you every step of the way. Eternal Father, I pray that you would bless us and keep us. Make your face shine upon us. Be gracious to us. Lift up your countenance towards us. Give us the peace of God. Surpass all human understanding. Guard our hearts until you return again. Father, let the words of our mouth and meditation of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord. Blessed strength and redeemer. In Christ's name we pray. The people of God said amen. All right, but I'm going to ask you to stand all over the house. We're going to decree and declare our benediction together. And then we're going to have Brother Randy pray a prayer of faith for us today. But let's say it. Let the words of our mouth, meditation of our hearts be.